0: We're in this series called Seven Choices, and we've been talking about making, coming out of Easter, we had a lot of people make decisions for Christ, we had people make decisions that I'm not giving up, I'm not quite ready to make my commitment to Christ, but I'm still in the game. And so from that, we've gone into this series called Seven Choices about making decisions that helps us move our one step, take our one step. We talked about last week about sharing our faith, that your story may be the thing that somebody's sitting in the room or somebody's sitting at work or in line with you at, at Food line, or wherever you may be going, your story may be the thing that God sent you to tell them and the thing they're waiting to hear that helps them take their one step. We're kind of hanging our hat on these two verses here. This one's in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. that says, I have given you a choice between life and death, blessings and curses. Those blessings and curses, that's, that's going to be pivotal today. I want you to pay attention to those words that God's given us the choice. He's done everything he's going to do. He sent Jesus to pay the price, to bring health, to pay everything that we couldn't do on our own. He's already done it. Now the Bible's clear that the choice is ours. It goes on to say that you would choose life. That That God in heaven is watching. Oh, that you would choose life. And notice it doesn't affect just you. Our decisions don't affect just me. They affect my family and those who surround me, too. The Bible also says, I believe King David wrote this in Proverbs 2, that wise choices will watch over you. Smart choices bring good things. Doesn't mean they're always easy choices, but wise choices bring good things. Now, before we show the next slide, I'm going to warn you. The slide I'm about to show you, the topic we're talking about today, is, tends to make people pucker. You know what I mean by pucker, like clenched their honey cheeks. Like, oh God, what's he going to talk about? Especially in church. But today we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about money, but from a very specific point of view. I can feel, I can feel people get tense. In my in my life and what I do, I, there's lots of stuff I can talk up here, and we can have serious discussions, but. We Usually when we get into like the Holy Spirit or we get into money, everybody tightens up like, oh God. Because it gets personal. And money decisions, tell me, now, it's going to require some honesty today. Money decisions, when you make a bad one, they ripple through life, don't they? Right. Like when you make, it, when we counsel Marital couples, we tell them that all issues in marriage have to do with three things. Sex, communication, and money. money. All three of them. You can't bring me a marital problem that doesn't have one or all three of those. That we can't pinpoint that. So, but in general in life, when we make bad money decisions, we feel it. But I want you to hear my heart today. If you're visiting with us today, I'm a real sweet guy. And I'm real kind and gentle. But I'm going to be... Oh, there it goes. We're working on that issue, by the way. I'm going to be a little direct today. Because I want us... If I don't, I'm not doing my job. And that's why I asked you, do you want me, do you want me to make you happy? Or do you want me to just lie to you? Because the thing is, even if I lie to you, it's not going to make you happy. But what's going to make you happy is when somebody and God tells us the truth of his word. So you can relax. We're not going to take up an extra offering today. I'm not asking everybody to, you know, to, to, uh, to get out your wallet. Let's get out your wallet. Get out your checkbooks and get out, you know, now it's be get out your phone and let's get that online giving going. We're, we need it, need it, need it. I can stand up here honestly and say, I want you to give because you'll see there's blessings. I want you to tithe because you'll see today the that there's blessings. But if you don't give, you know what? We're going to be Okay. Why? Because you're already generous. Not a lot of people know this, but me working with our trustees, which is kind of our financial oversight, that there's my check and balances. Last year in 2022, we operated everything we do in the church off 90% of what you gave. So that left us 10% and we call it money with no name on it. So that we can respond when there's a tragedy. We can we can be generous and we can do things like the The Mother's Day uh, presents and Easter, big deal. And we can have money to be able to invest in you, which is funny because it's your money. But even bigger and better is to be able to invest in the city, to be able to invest into Project 216. But last year, we only used 90% of everything that came in. And that's after we gave away 11% because the church tithes. The church supports ministry. The church gives everything that comes in, 11% goes out. But you see, if I didn't talk about money, I wouldn't be doing my job. As a pastor, I want God's best for you. I want you to take your one steps. I want you to grow. I want you to move forward. But the problem is, the world doesn't give you good information. The world gives, and the term we hear now is misinformation, right? Right? With the new AI stuff coming out, the artificial intelligence, it's really, it's scary that you don't really don't know what's real. But I truly believe God's never batted an eye. He didn't go, well, now I'm confused. I don't know if that was really me that said that, or is that AI? God doesn't change. Even though the pre- presentation of life around us changes, God says, I never change. But the, the devil is telling us lies about money, and then people will tell me, well, you know, God's... God doesn't get in my business and mess with my money. Oh, I beg to differ. The Bible is not silent about money. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked twice as much about money as he did heaven and hell in the Bible. Sixteen of 38 parables that Jesus told had to do with money and possessions. Now get this. In the Bible, there are 500 verses about prayer and faith. That's a lot of verses, wouldn't you think? It'd be important. But look at this. There's 2,000 verses about money and possessions. If emphasis is telling us anything, God's trying to tell us, hey, there's, there's some pitfalls, there's some things that are going to hurt you. You need to pay attention to these things. They need to be done my way. We hear this verse in Luke a lot. You hear people, especially you know, preachers will quote it and point their finger at you, that no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then this version, the NIV says, you cannot serve both God and money. Well, see, anything, the, the money word there really was not in the original translation. If you don't know, you're, uh, the original text of the Bible, the Old Testament is in Hebrew, the New Testament is in Greek. Now, I didn't study Greek in seminary because I had enough trouble with English. So I married a woman who has a degree in Greek. So I can attest to what I'm going to tell you. That word money is this Greek word, mammonis. I don't know if that's how you say it, but that's how we say it in South Georgia. And it simply means this. It was a Syrian word in the original text that means wealth that's personified. Like we, we humanize wealth. But not only that, it was something that was opposed to God. So when the translators got to this, there's no English word for this. So over the generations and the different uh, inter- the different interpretations of it, we've inserted money. But you see, the Syrian God, it was actually, Mamonus was a Syrian God that stood against our God, that sold lies, that told... The Israelites lies about their possessions. They didn't have to do this. They didn't have to make, you know, and the Israelites had to do sacrifice. They didn't have to do that. You didn't have to pay attention to the law. You didn't have to honor God. And it lies to you. See, money today, money being the spirit of money, lies to you. Because money tells us things like this. Money says that I bless your life. Because let me just get this out of the way, because I can feel it. There's not a one of us in this room that if I said to you, all you have to do is stand up and say, yes, I want it, and I will give you a million dollars, right? Everybody in the room would stand up, including me. I'll even help you spell millions if you want to write a check today to the church. We'll, we'll, we will take it and change the world forever. But money is not what brings me life. Money also tells you that I bring you joy, See, money doesn't bring you joy. Money can disappear on you quickly. You you don't think people you think people are loving you? They're not. They're loving your money. People throwing around money. As soon as that money disappears, what happens to the people? We don't know who you are. Money says, "I bless your life. I bring you joy." Money lies to us, and we we'll, we will do stupid stuff for money. There's a book that I quoted. I had it years ago, and I couldn't find it, but I had these quotes. I think it's called When Americans Tell the Truth. And this guy asked Americans, basically, what would you do for money? And he asked them this question. He said, for $10 million. I want to give you some of these because these are crazy, and I've quoted them before. For $10 million, I would be a prostitute for a month. I think I missed one on there. Actually, there's one before that. Twenty-five percent of people said this. Twenty-five percent said I would abandon my entire family for ten million dollars. Twenty-three percent said they'd be prostitute for a month. Sixteen percent would give up their American citizenship. That says to me we have a lot of people who've never traveled outside the U.S. I, there's a lot of stuff I would do for ten million dollars. But if you've never lived outside of the U.S., that would be a big ask. There are 10% of the people who said they would lie or withhold testimony to let a known murderer go free. They would would perjure themselves in court for the $10 million. Now get this, 7% said they would actually kill somebody for $10 million. I know some of y'all are running through people in your head. Yeah, I can think of a few... It's one thing to think about. It's another thing to go walk that out. 3% of people said, I'll put my kids up for adoption. Some of y'all thinking, I'll give you my kids for a whole lot less than that. (laughs) Right? They would just put their kids up and get rid of them for $10 million. See, money lies to you. It tells us things that aren't true. And when we buy into it, we don't discover it's falsehood until it's too late. So why do we trust, why do we believe the money? Because there's a lot of miserable billionaires out there. There are a lot of people who die with billions of dollars, and they're miserable. They die with billions of dollars, and guess what? That billions of dollars stays right here. A guy by the name of, some of you may know the guy's name, his name is Steve Jobs. He was the head of Apple. He's the one that got Apple to rise to fame and did the iPhones and all the cool computers. He was not a Christian. But right, he died of cancer. And right before he died, he was quoted as saying, if I had known how short life was going to be and how irrelevant money was, I would have done my money differently. And he died leaving billions of dollars to who knows, billions of dollars. So why do we believe the lies of money? Well, what are they? I'm going to give you a couple. The first one is lie number one, that more money means more security. Now, again, I get it. If somebody said, hey, I just deposited a million dollars, two million dollars in my bank account, I would be a whole lot more confident in life, right? I might visit a few stores or dealerships on the way home. But the lie says that money brings you more security. Now let me ask you a logical question. I just told you about Steve Jobs, who was a billionaire. Did his billions save him? He still did what, like everybody else? He died, and died from a sickness and disease. His money couldn't fix it. It's a farce if you believe, and it's actually, I think, insulting to God, if you believe that the more money I have, it makes my life secure. It doesn't. Life still applies to you. The Bible actually says in Proverbs that the rich think their wealth is a strong offense, and they imagine it to be a high wall of safety. Because if you think about most rich people's homes, what do they have around it? Literal gates and walls and attack dogs and armed security, because they think think their money, their wealth, makes me feel safe. They spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on armored cars and and their own private jets and all those things. Stay away from public because it keeps me safe. The New Testament tells us in Hebrews that it says, Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you've got. For God said, I'm the one that's never going to leave or forsake you. I'm never going to abandon you. Money, no matter how much, disappears. Now, again, I would like to try and test this theory. But if you look at the numbers on people who win the millions of dollars of lottery, and like, the last one was like seven, the guy took home $780 million. Take home. But statistically, in less than five years, he'll be flat broke. Now, again, I would like to give that, that theory a shot and see, see if we could uh, change the numbers. But the Bible says that God says, I'm never going to leave you. He goes on and says, so we can say this with confidence. God's the one who helps me. What can men do? This says do to me, but what can men do for me? What can money do for me? Because God's ultimately the one. If he disappears, then all the money in the world is not going to get you into eternity with him. The second thing, what I own defines who I am. When I have more, this is truth, when I have more, more people love me, right? That's why if you win the lotto, you suddenly have family you never knew about. You have friends that you don't even like. I've heard stories about people winning the the lottery and literal like line of people of new family and friends lining up at their front door hey, you don't know me, but I'm connected to sister so-and-so back in, on this side of your family and just wanted to say hey. No, they don't want to say hey. They want your money. You see, the lie says that it defines me. What I own defines me. All it defines is the flaw in human nature that we give you more credibility because you're famous and rich. If you don't believe me, watch Watch society. That's why we have this realm of this new job, apparently, that's called an influencer. And the more money they make, the more they influence. But nowhere in the money and the influence comes wisdom, right? They're not any smarter. They're just bigger, well-known, more money makes them more famous. And we let those people define who I am. It defines who we are. The Bible says in Luke 12, that take care, protect yourself against even a little bit of greed. Because life is not defined by what you have. Life is not defined by the things you own, what's in your garage. If you look at the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes says this. This was written by, by Solomon. It says, those who love money will never have enough. Because once you have it, you want more. Once you get it, you want more. How meaningless to think that wealth brings happiness. You see, the happiest people in the world are the, happy, are the people who understand this verse in Romans chapter 4. Blessed are those whose our sins are forgiven, whose wrongs have been pardoned, and blessed is the person who whom the Lord considers not guilty. And if you want a good example of that, then you need to go to Honduras with us. For those of you who have been to Honduras with us, to our care point, and so to go out of Honduras, in this little village on the side of a mountain, kids literally have nothing. They play with anything they can get their hands on. They'll make balls out of wadded up bottles. They make basketball goals out of hollowed out baskets. They a lot of them will be wearing their Sunday shoes 24-7. One kid is a soccer fan, and we see him every time we go, and every time he, he wears cleats every day. They don't have a whole lot, but anyone who's been will tell you those are the happiest kids you'll ever meet. And it changes your, I'm sorry for you guys, the kids, like teenagers and down, they're in the room, that are our kids, because it makes y'all look bad. Because our own kids, the Wi-Fi is not fast enough. My iPad charger, you know, quit or whatever it is. And these first world problems in our life just falls apart. Why? Because our stuff begins to define us. And if we're really honest adults, we're all the same. Yeah, I see. No, it's mom over there walking. We're all the adults are the same because if this thing dies... Like the world just drifts away. We're not connected to humanity anymore. I can't. I can't breathe. My 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 phone died. Like our phone is the thing that sustains us, or my electronics. See, the stuff you own doesn't define you. What defines me is understanding that I messed up. I was a man in sin, and Jesus came and paid that price for me to bring me eternal life with Him and to pay my debt. And so that I and my family could have eternal life and health and life with him. That's what defines me. Not my stuff. Lie number three. This one, this one may stump some of you. Lie number three. My stuff is my stuff. It's not. I don't care what you say. It, it, it's not the truth. This is truth. And this one I get a lot of pushback on. Because the truth is, whether you believe it or not, we are just simply managing what God blessed us with. What you have is because God saw fit to give it to you. The kids in Honduras and the families in Honduras that we go and help feed, they manage what God has given them. And they are the happiest bunch of people you'll ever see with 1% of what we have. As a matter of fact, did you know this? If you live in the United States and you live at the poverty level, so your total income for the year, it's like $13,000 and under. You are in the richest 1% in the world making $13,000 a year. See, it's all a perspective that my stuff is my... my, No, it's not. And as a pastor, I'll tell you this, an insight into the way I see church. As a pastor... It's sad I have to say this, but I truly believe that I have to answer for every dollar that passes through this place. I have to answer for my own wisdom and my own good stewardship of what God's given me. But I think as pastors, and there's going to be a lot of pastors that get to heaven, and they're going to be shocked when God's not happy. It's sad, but that we operate in such a way that we're just managing God's stuff. My, my goal here as a pastor is I, I take what generosity gives us. And there's a word called leverage. In business world, you, use, you leverage what you got to maximize the outcome, to maximize in the business world profit. That my goal is that we manage everything so well that it leverages it and says the most people we can go into heaven. That we make heaven crowded because we're good stewards, because we're smart, because we're generous, because we do what the Bible tells us to do. See, a lot of us don't think that. We think that this is my stuff, and I'm going to, even a lot of us, unfortunately, even if you are a tither, we take my, it's my 90%. No, we're not really. Really, God just lets you keep 90%. And we got to begin to think that I've been blessed enough that all my stuff, all my toys, all the stuff God's given me, all the stuff that... Is irrelevant to the world, but it's just meaningful to me. God's given us all of that. And it seems like a trivial thing, but when you begin to change your, your mindset, I'm telling you, it opens, it opens life up for you. It opens the blessing up for you. The Bible says this in, in Chronicles. It says, greatness, power, splendor, glory, majesty are God's. Because everything in heaven on earth is His. The kingdom is yours, and you're honored above all things. You know, that's where we say your name is above all names. Riches and honor are in front of you. You rule everything. You hold power and and strength in your hands, and you're the one that makes people great and strong. That your stuff defines me. God's stuff defines me. Then I want to ask you this question then. Then what's truth? If those are lies, then there's a whole lot more. We could do a whole series, and we might one day on on just those principles, the the lie of money. So I want to give you a starting point. I'm going to do one thing today. This is another time where I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath. I'm not asking for anything. I'm not asking for a dime today. If you're normally giving today and you're normally tithing today, you do what's normal. The Bible tells us, I'm not even going into this, but the Bible says you don't give out of a manipulated heart. You give out of the abundance of your heart that if I have to uh, manipulate you and show you pictures of sad kids in Honduras and tug on your heartstrings, then that's called manipulation. That's not called generosity. But we give because I realize that my stuff is not my stuff. God's given me all his stuff, and he's blessed me. We give because it's not my stuff that defines me, but it's the stuff he gives me that defines me. So we're going to talk about for the next just 10 minutes, and I'm only going to give you two things. There's a whole lot more, but I could give you, I'm going to give you two. We're going to talk about this principle of tithing. Again, because I feel like if I'm not, then I'm not doing you, doing you right as your pastor. It would be like me telling you, hey, there's this thing you could, are you finding out there's something that could be life-changing for you, and then finding out I never told you about it because I was afraid of talking about it. Now listen, I don't like talking about money. I very rarely talk about money. There's a reason that we, I have whoever's doing the announcements, it'd be Melanie or today it was Lauren, praying over the offering, blessing you guys, and then you give on the way out, you give online, because I stay out of it. All I do is pay the bills. I manage the business, but I don't know who gives what, I don't know how you give, and I don't care because God gives you no matter what, and so do I. I'm not managing that side of it. But I do know this. That the Bible says in Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Bible. It says a tenth of all you produce is the Lord's, and it's holy. It doesn't say you need to give it to the Lord. It says it is the Lord's. There's a big difference. And it's holy. Holy is just a, a religious word for it's set apart and different from everything else. People ask me, well, what's one-tenth? I know a lot of us went, you may have gone to Scriven County, but even Scriven County, they teach you one-tenth. Let's do a test. If I give you $10, what's the tithe of $10? Come on. One, right? Some of y'all are like counting. My dad, I, I, again, this is second nature to me because from the time I could count, my dad would say if, I, he, if my grandfather gave me a dollar he would tell me to go get changed because if I get a dollar, then what's the tithe off of a dollar? 10%. People ask me, well, is it gross? Is it net? Is it?" Here's my rule of thumb. If I didn't have it here and I have it here, then is that increase? This is yes. This is no. See, I told you, everybody gets nervous when we talk about money. Yes. I want to stand before God and go, I gave you everything you asked because I'm obedient. You see, the tithe is not a money demand from God. We treat tithe like God stomps his foot and says, you're going to give me 10% or I'm going to take you out. Now, there are consequences to not tithing, but it's not, that's not why we respond. The tithe is an obedience-based response to God. It's him saying, I'm, I'm asking you, This. I'm telling you this is what's going to work best and bless your life, you need to do this. And because we trust God, because we, he's given us everything, we respond, right? It's not God stomping his feet until we get it. The Bible tells us that God doesn't need your money. One verse in the Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and all that translates to is it's all his anyway. Your stuff is not your stuff. If you believe that your stuff is your stuff, then why does the Bible say the, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. In other words, the wealth of the people who don't pay God any attention, who aren't don't know Jesus, is hanging out there because one day God's going to be like, like pfft, I'm taking my stuff back and I'm going to give it to the people who are doing things the way I asked, who are following me. So that's why I say it's not your stuff. It's not a demand on God. It's a response. This is the way, and be transparent for a minute, this is the way that Melanie and I live our lives. And I'm going to just say, if you're visiting today or maybe you're still stepping out this God thing and you're not ready for this, that's okay. Come back next week. We'll have a different question. We'll talk about something else. This is not a judgmental thing. This is me as a shepherd, as a pastor, wanting the best for you. And the best for you, part of it is found within tithing. People will say, well, tithing was the Old Testament. Tithing was..." No, it wasn't. And if you want to get into the theology and into the actual timeline and scripture of it, you come see me and I will lay it out for you. It's easy to prove. And people, I've had come argue. I've had people run up after a sermon and argue with me. And in two verses, I can can shut you down if you'll listen to truth. The Bible talks a lot about tithing. If we want God's best, we have to do it his way. That's right. Let me say that again. I don't think y'all got that. If we want God's best, we have to do it His way, not our way. See, I told you, y'all loosen up and breathe in, breathe out, relax. This is not a judgment thing. This is not a you're doing or not doing. This is, I want you to have the info because for you to make the choice that's, that brings the most from God, you need to know this. In Malachi, or if you're from the south, Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And in this book, it is the Israelites complaining because when God would leave them. In chapter 1, the Israelites say that they quit giving God their best. They would give God the sick animals, the ones that had three legs and limped, the one that had one eye. When the Bible says, no, you give me your first and you give me your best. So God said, Fine. You're on your own. In chapter 2, they they talk about how they treated each other, how they weren't generous, how they treated their spouses terribly, treated their families terribly. They were sleeping with people they shouldn't have been. And God said, fine, you're on your own. Make your own decisions. And in chapter 3, they begin to complain about money. And chapter 3 deals with their money and their stuff and their possessions. And in Malachi 3, starting in verse 6, God says right up front, I'm God, I don't change. I'm not changing for you, I'm not changing for anybody, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. He goes on to say, ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from what I've asked you to do. You've stopped giving, you've stopped tithing, or we tell people, I just can't afford to tithe, whatever your excuse may be. And again, I'm not judging your excuse, I'm just telling you what people tell me. You've turned away and you've not kept anything i asked you to do. Then he goes to this. He says, will, our meal, will a mere mortal rob God yet you rob me? Well God, how am I robbing you?" In ties and offerings. You're not bringing it. And he says this, as we start to get serious now, that you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Just so you know, we'll read that nation a couple times, but that nation doesn't necessarily mean nation like America, which it can mean. Nation was their family group, the Williams. So I'm not doing right. The curse is not just me. The curse is Williams, the Williams household. Here in Malachi says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, again, if you want to come and we'll sit down and parse out the original text and all, I'll sit my wife down in front of you and she'll tell you how it is. But this storehouse, this, the church operated them with a storehouse. They didn't do money. They had a storehouse, and people would bring their chicken, the first of their chickens, the first of their goats, the first of their wheat, the first of their corn, and that's how the church functioned. That fed the, fed the priests and, and made the church run, just like we do today, except we do it in, in finances and in, in, in money, whether it be online or cash or whatever you choose. But it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And then he says something that only says right here, and he says, test me in this. In the New Testament, Jesus says, hey, don't test God, don't tempt me. I'm telling you what the truth is. Don't try to see if it's true. I'm telling you it's true. But here he says, test me in this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out on you the blessings of heaven that you can't contain it. I don't know about you, but if if God wants, if if there's anywhere I want open door over me, it's heaven. I want all the God, whatever God's got, Him to send it to me. To bless my family. Even more, I want it for my girls. He goes on to say in verse 11, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines in your field won't drop their fruit before it's ripe. Verse 12, then it says, then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. In other words, now other families are going to look at you and go, whatever you're doing, God's blessing you. God's opening doors. Now, let me stop and say this. Don't get hung up when you hear blessing. Blessing does not equal necessarily cash. Because I am blessed because I have a healthy family. I am blessed because I have a roof over my head. I'm blessed, and I can, we can keep naming those things. Blessing does not mean money. Again, more money doesn't buy me more security. All of God buys me security, right? Amen. Amen. Keep going, Clint. Okay, I will. <laughs> Verse 12, then it says, All nations will call you blessed. Yours will be a delightful land. In other words, they see the difference in you by God, not the difference in you and your stuff. Right. They see the difference in you of maybe how you were to how you are now because you have given God your first. I'm going to give you two things about tithing, and then we're going to go enjoy lunch. People will say, again, tell me, isn't that the Old Testament? Didn't God say that in the Old Testament? Yes. Yes. But did he say it in the New Testament? Yes. Without going into the scripture, let me ask you a question. Is murder in the Old Testament? For those of you who don't know, yes, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Murder. Now we come to the New Testament. We live in New Testament times. If I shoot and kill Jimmy, where am I going? To jail. Somebody said, hell no. (laughs) No. Is murder wrong now? Is it more wrong now because we have a law that says it's wrong? No. It just means there's consequences. So why do we do that with tithing? Well, that was then, this is now. Well, if it was right then, the principle is right then, then it should be right now. If it was wrong then, like murder, then guess what? It's wrong now. You see, tithing for us is simply this. Tithing is a faith test. It's a test did God say really? Are you going to are you going to follow what I say in Malachi 3 to bring the whole tithe? And verse 10 says, "Bring the whole tithe and then test me in this." Test me. Because there is a test. You do get a grade. And this is where people get tense. So just hear me and listen that you can do this. We can do this. It says in verse 9 that if you failing the test, it's a pass fail thing. This is not a in the middle you either tithe or you don't. It's either 10 or it's not. A lot of people say, well, I'm trying to get to 10. Well, you keep trying. I'm not judging you, but until you get to 10, you're just tipping God. You keep trying and keep going. We'll keep praying with you that your faith grows, that you get there. But it says you're under a curse, the whole nation. Well, the nation is your family. Why? Because you're withholding what's God's. Verse 10, again, it says, and I'm going to throw open the floodgates of heaven, so there may not be room to contain everything I have for you. God says testing. We can, trust, we can trust him, but I'm going to tell you my story. You can do more with 90% than you can with keeping everything. Don't ask me to do the math. I can't explain it. I can just tell you that in 2000, 2000, When I moved here from coming from ORU, Melanie and I had just gotten married in the January 2000, I was making $250 a week. Yeah. And on $250 a week for about two years, Melanie and I decided that we were going to track everything we spent because I just couldn't figure out how God was going to do it. We moved in town, bought a house over behind uh, Pojo's and what was Rusty's bought a house making two hundred and fifty thousand I mean dollars, two hundred and fifty dollars a week, dreaming about two hundred and fifty thousand. I made two five oh, no more zeros. So we decided we were gonna tithe and keep going. We went back at the end of the year, added up all of our income. It was easy because that was a very easy to count number. Everything going in. We went to the end of the year and counted everything we spent. Every food, every insurance, the mortgage on a house, And I can't explain it to you, but one plus one did not equal two. Because our bills said there should be no money left, but when we look in our bank account, even went to the bank and had them check it. He said, no, that's right, your balance is right. You've got money left over. Don't ask me to explain it. I'm not going to try to explain it. I'm not telling you to try to pull one over on God. I just know that we said, God, if tithing is a test, then I'm going to do it. But what it allowed me to do, ushers, you guys can do your thing, band, you can come. What it allowed me to do is not too long ago with Mabel, my 14-year-old, a few years back, she, she asked, like, Daddy, why do you do 10%? Why is Mama doing the 10%? Why, why is Mama writing that check? Why? why? And I'm going to give you In the back, I'm going to give them the verse first, then we can go to the answer. Give me that Psalm 16. Because I asked this question, what can I give back to God for the blessings that he's poured out on me? That I'll lift the cup of salvation high, I'll pray in the name of God, I'll do everything he's asked me to do, and I'll do it together with his people. But What could I possibly give back? He says, this is David writing, I'm ready to give an offer of thanksgiving, a sacrifice of praise. I'll complete it. God will... What does it mean to you? Well, here's what, it, here's what I tell Mabel. Here's what I tell my kids. Here's what you can tell your kids. Because, baby, you, don't, you, don't, you see Daddy as, I hope she does, as this wonderful guy that most of the time gets it right. But what you don't know is that Daddy didn't always get it right. Daddy's done some dumb things. Even your mama, as perfect as she is, just once or twice in life, Melanie's not done the right thing. That no matter how good we are, kids, I can't, I can't honor God. I can't make life right. But he saw fit to pull me out of a mess. He saw fit to pay the bill that I can't pay. That even if I screwed it up for 50 years... He saw fit to make it right. Even if I blew it time after time after time, He said, I forgive you. And I, and I tell Mael, I'm going to do everything I can do because I have to honor the one who saved me. Amen. Tithing is not a demand. <laughs> Tithing is my honor, my privilege. In the smallest way to say, God, you gave it to me all anyway. Thank you. And here's the crazy part about it the Bible says when you honor him with that tenth, he says, I'm going to open heaven. And what you need, I'm going to give you. Not because I'm so righteous, I'm just obedient obedient sometimes somebody told me one time you're obedient to a fault well if that's what I get tagged as then yes because tithing is my honor look what the Bible says in Exodus says when the time comes your son will ask you what does that mean you tell him you tell that child because God brought me out God brought me out of Egypt he brought me out of the I was in bondage I was an addict I was in a terrible marriage I was a terrible husband I was a terrible wife I was a terrible and God with his power said I'm gonna pull you out of it that's why I tithe that's why I give and I'm standing I'm just being open and transparent and see-through as I can be I see it through my family My grandfather started my dad tithing. My dad started me tithing. And all the way through, I just see God opening doors. God opening doors. In my grandfather's case, he's been dead and gone now for, I don't know, 10 years or more. More than that, maybe 14. The man made more after he retired than he ever made when he was working He got audited three times because the IRS said you can't possibly be giving that much money away. Now, I'm just talking about tithing. I'm not even talking about going over and above. Because he was so generous, he was a tither, and then he gave out of his abundance. He he made more in the years after he retired than he ever did when he was working, and he never worked another day in his life. I can't explain it. Can't explain how his offspring is serving God. His offspring has healthy families. His offspring lacks for nothing. We just serve God. But I truly believe because the nations, the family was founded and rooted in tithing and giving and generosity. I'm not telling you to do anything today. Matter of fact, if you weren't going to tithe today, don't. But if during the week you think, I want that heaven open over my family. Maybe you and God need to have a conversation. And you give him what what he's asked you, not out of his demand, but out of obedient response. Amen. Amen. I mean, I want you by your heads. God, I it's my honor. Is it always easy? God, no, but it's my honor to give to you, to tithe to you. God, I'll never close this service again without offering people a chance to meet you first and foremost as a Lord and Savior, that they can receive Jesus today. If that's you in the room, the Bible simply says that you have to believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth, that Jesus came and died for you, paid the bill you couldn't pay, and the Bible says you repent and say, God, I'm going to follow you because you sent Jesus for me. You can have that moment right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you front. You can do that right now or online.